The title of our message this morning is Putting Others in First Place. And our text is Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Last Sunday, Jim made the following statement while preaching from Romans 14, 13 to 23, the text preceding our text this morning. This is what Jim said, Lord, help us to put ourselves in second place. The titles of today's message, Putting Others in First Place, and Jim's quote from last week, Lord, help us to put ourselves in second place, are two sides of the same coin. This very rare 1971 $1 coin that I'm holding up represents that same coin. On one side of it, we pray, Lord, help us to put ourselves in second place. And on the other side, We pray, Lord, help us to put others in first place. Like this $1 coin minted in 1971 that I'm holding in my hand, this can be a very rare prayer indeed. I will admit to you, it's not the first thing that pops into my mind when I wake up in the morning. I actually have to come downstairs and seek for God's mercy and grace from His Word at the throne of grace as I pray each morning and read my Bible so that I can find this grace and truth from God in Christ, so that I can pray, Lord, help me to put myself in second place. Lord, how can I put others in first place? Like I said, this this prayer is not the first thing that comes to mind when I find myself embroiled in a typical workday, trying to accomplish things. I'll confess that I can easily misplace this coin of putting others in first place, in the hustle and bustle of a life often lived at breakneck speed. But this coin of putting others in first place is the currency of heaven. It is the capital of the church. It represents the riches of true love toward one another that fuels the economy of the kingdom of God. As we invest in one another, putting others in first place, In our text this morning, God reveals the how and the why of putting others in first place, encouraging us with his word to give us hope that we can, in fact, find this rarest of coins, this coin of putting others in first place so that we might live by the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let's read the text. And let's receive God's encouragement and hope this morning that we might put others in first place. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together we may, you may with one voice, 
glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text is part exhortation and part prayer. The first four verses are an exhortation, and the last two verses are Paul's prayer, expressing God's will for his people to live in such harmony with one another that together they may with one voice glorify God. The words harmony, one another, together, and with one voice speak of unity. And unity is the theme of our text. Unity not simply for unity's sake, but unity with the ultimate purpose of glorifying God. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me again, please. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants to teach us to live in such harmony with one another that together with one voice we may glorify God. An illustration that comes to mind to envision this is the groundbreaking Coca-Cola commercial minted actually in 1971 featuring a multicultural collection of teenagers standing on a hilltop in Italy holding bottles of Coke singing the famous jingle I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. goes like this. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. That's the real thing. What the world wants today is the real thing Coke is. The song is about living in perfect harmony, an admirable goal, but for what purpose? These kids standing on a hilltop in Italy, taught the world to sing in perfect harmony in order to sell Coca-Cola. Paul, standing on Calvary's hill, teaches us to sing in perfect harmony in order to glorify God. And that, my friend, is the main point of this message. Let us live in harmony that we may with one voice glorify God. How do we learn to live in harmony, dear church? Point one, we learn to live in harmony by bearing one another's failings. Bear one another's failings. Look at verses one and two. Here we learn that to live in harmony, we bear the failings of the weak. Rather than pleasing ourselves, we please our neighbor for his good to build him up. Read it with me again. Romans 15.1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. What Paul is saying here is that we are not just to tolerate the failings of the weak. No, we're to actually bear their failings as if they were our own because the truth is, friends, that we are all, at one time or another, weak. We all have failings. These these failings are the failings of how we apply our faith in Christ to everyday life. Failings of how we live by faith. In Rome, 
It was the weak faith of those Jewish Christians that weren't sure if they could eat meat sacrificed to idols or meat that perhaps wasn't 100% kosher. But we all walk through that, don't we? We're all working through our faith. What does my faith in Christ mean? In what I can do and what I can't do. In the decisions I make, the relationships that I forge, the jobs that I take, the priorities that I have. What the Bible is saying here is that instead of judging one another or despising one another as we work through these failings of applying our faith, we are to bear one another's failings as brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, this is our obligation according to verse 1. It's, it's God's command for us to do this. Actually, I, I think what Paul is thinking of here is what he wrote a few years earlier to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 6.2, Paul wrote this, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Those burdens there are the same as the failings here. And bearing one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ, Paul is clearly thinking of what Christ said when they asked him in Matthew 22. What's the greatest commandment? And in verses 36 to 40 of Matthew 22, Jesus says, The greatest commandment is this, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's use of the word neighbor back in Romans 15, 2, points to the fact that he's thinking of that quote in teaching of Christ. He's thinking of bearing one another's failings as really loving one another. It's drawing near to our brothers and sisters to help them as they walk through these failings, the maturing of their faith and applying it to everyday life, rather than simply holding them at arm's length and judging them or despising them as some in the church in Rome were doing, and as some of us can do. It means getting involved in one another's lives, rolling up our sleeves to bear their failings and burdens, and in so doing, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. We're learning to sing in perfect harmony. What does this look like? Verse 2 tells us. It looks like doing our neighbor good. It looks like building up our neighbor, building him up. That's what it means in verse 2 when it says, don't just please yourself, but do your, your neighbor good. Build your neighbor up. Doing him good means that I work as hard as I can to be as efficient as I can, to have, in a sense, my life as organized as I can so that I can serve my neighbor. Do him good. People are here early in the morning to set up. People are here late after church to break it down. It means that we serve one another in our everyday lives, our community. We're as efficient as we can be to do the most good we can do to the most number of people. It's what we preached in Romans 14, 1-12. But it also means that it, I please my neighbor to build him up. It doesn't mean that I'm a man pleaser. I just do whatever my neighbor wants. No, no, no. It means that I please my neighbor by building him up in his most holy faith. It means I'm building up my neighbor's faith and not tearing it down with thoughtless, selfish freedoms I may have, but rather allowing love to limit my freedoms so that I might strengthen my neighbor's faith and not weaken it by tempting him to violate his conscience by what I do. It's exactly what Jim preached last week in the verses preceding our text this morning, Romans 14, 13 to 23. I love what Thomas Schreiner in his commentary on Romans says. 
Pleasing others to advance their selfish interest is excluded. Pleasing others so that they will be stronger in the faith, however, is a beautiful quality. Oh, friends, may we be a beautiful church, a beautiful people. May we please others to build them up in their most holy faith, to strengthen them in their faith, allowing love to actually limit our freedom so that others might be built up in their faith. This is what teaches us to sing in perfect harmony, dear friends. How can you please others in such a way so as to do them good and build up their faith? That's the point of application. For it is this kind of loving service of one another that teaches us to sing in perfect harmony. It builds our unity. But where do we find this rare coin of putting others in first place? Because that's what we're talking about. I mean, this passage, God calls us to to have love limit our freedoms, to put others in first place and to put ourselves in second place. That does not come naturally, but it does come. It does come from a hill, not a hill in Italy with a bunch of teenagers singing that they want to teach the world to live in perfect harmony. No, it comes from Calvary's hill where these coins, these rare coins have been minted an indistinguishable, excuse me, an inexhaustible supply of these coins of putting others in first place, where Jesus put others in first place. He did not just please himself, but he pleased us. And that, that coin is found on Calvary's hill. That is where it was minted. And that's the good news of this passage. That's what we see in verse three. Jesus provides us with this coin. Because as Paul tells us in verse three, Christ did not please himself. But he served us. He pleased us on the cross, doing us the ultimate good. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What this passage teaches us is that on Calvary, Christ pleased us and not himself. That is what the quote here from Psalm 69.9, which Paul cites, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, is pointing to that scripture, Psalm 69, 9. In fact, that entire psalm is often used in the New Testament to point to the cross. If you were to go to the crucifixion narratives in the Gospels, primarily Matthew 27 or Mark 15 or Luke 23 and search, you will find references to Psalm 69, 9. So in essence, what Paul is saying is this. On the cross... Jesus did not please himself, but he bore our failings. And because he did that for us, we are to bear one another's failings. Jesus did it for our ultimate good. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. So we are to bear with one another for their good. Jesus built our faith. He created our faith on the cross. And we are to build up others' faith. Friends, Paul most likely is thinking of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, where we read that on the cross, Jesus took our illnesses. He bore our disease and we are to bear one another's failings. Friends, Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45 clearly teaches that. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, dear unbeliever who are hearing these words, may they, the gospel that I'm preaching right now, serve as God's call on your life right now, this moment to repent and believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you might receive eternal life and the hope that only God can give. And dear believer, 
made these words written for your instruction and encouragement to give you hope this morning. Do just that. For that is what Paul tells us these words are meant to do. Look at verse 4 of Romans 15. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Verse 4 tells us that scripture was written in former days. This quote from Psalm 69.9 is what Paul is alluding to, and it provides us instruction. It tells us that Christ died for our sins. It also gives us endurance gives us encouragement because he died for our failings, for our sins and gave us hope and faith. We can do the same. That is to say, bear one another's failings. We have hope. So what we learn here is that not only is the use of the Old Testament and really all of scripture appropriate, but it's necessary for us, the believer, to gain encouragement, endurance, and hope itself. You see, God's word doesn't just instruct us this morning. Oh, it does that. But it does more than that. It encourages us. That means it gives us strength to live in such a manner that honors God. And here, that is to live in perfect harmony. To put others in first place. To serve them. Because that reveals what Christ did for us. That enables us to sing together in perfect harmony. That encourages us, gives us the endurance to do that. Because we need hope at times to live in perfect harmony. God, who is the source of endurance and encouragement, grants us endurance and encouragement along with hope to those who carefully study and apply his word together. I want to slow down here and and apply this word to us. May the Holy Spirit minister endurance and encouragement, resulting in hope to your souls right now, dear ones. Do you need hope these days? Are you in the scriptures? Just as I need to eat nourishing good food, for my body to be strengthened. So I need to be eating nourishing and good word of God that nourishes my soul so that it might be strengthened and have hope and encouragement today. So here's the question for application in this first point. What does our obligation to bear with the failings of one another imply for us? What does it look like for you to bear the failings of the weak, to bear the burdens of those who are weak in faith around you? How can we go beyond the distance of simply tolerating their failings? To the closeness of treating them as brothers and sisters, taking on their failings as if they were ours, even as Christ took on our failings on the cross, pleasing them rather than pleasing ourselves, even as Christ pleased us rather than himself, doing this for their ultimate good as Christ did it for our good and building them up in their most holy faith. Whose burden can you assume today? What good can you do? How can you build others up in their faith? The illustration that comes to mind is that of my 90-year-old mother. On Mondays, I often take her grocery shopping. And she is very, very slow in moving. She uses a walker. And it's often quite an adventure to cross a busy parking lot with her, pushing her grocery cart full of groceries. But I do it joyfully. I do it lovingly. We're to treat each other with the same love that I have for my 90-year-old mother. See, it would be crazy if I were to impatiently shout at her to move faster. Or if I were to say to her, you carry your own heavy grocery bags. I would never do that. And nor should we do that with one another, dear friends. 
It would be terrible if I were to look back on her and despise her for the weakness of her 90 years. Nor should we despise others or judge others for their weaknesses, but rather slow down and help them and bear their, their failings and please them for their good to build them up in their most holy faith so that we might sing in perfect harmony. Why? Here's the purpose, point two. So that with one voice, we would glorify God. With one voice, we would glorify God. Now in verses five and six, Paul shifts from exhortation to prayer. His prayer for a harmony that leads to doxology, glorifying God, expresses the heart of our immediate text and really of the entire section of which we've been preaching from chapter 14, verse 1, all the way to chapter 15, verse 13. Note that Paul prays to the God of endurance and encouragement. Read that with me again in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the source of endurance. He's the source of encouragement. He's the one that grants us this endurance and encouragement, along with hope. He does that to those who study and apply His Word together, so that we might live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, our hope lies in the harmony that God grants us. We don't create it, but we are called to live in it. Just like we don't create the unity that Paul mentioned in Ephesians 4, but we are called to walk worthy of it. This is the point Jim was making last week when he was preaching from Romans 14, 13 to 23. If you recall at the end, he cited the fact that love should limit our freedom so that we, we might live in unity, particularly around these disputable matters. And he quoted Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I'd like to read that to you. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul is saying here in Ephesians what he's saying in Romans 15. We're to bear with one another's failings, bear with one another in love. This fulfills the law of Christ, the law of love. And then in verse 3 of Ephesians 4, he says this. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's not a unity we create. It's the unity of the Spirit, but we maintain it. And in a similar way, Paul instructs the Romans here in Romans 15, 5, to bear with one another's failings, five, 1 through uh, 6, to bear with one another's feelings, and so live in the harmony that God grants so that together with one voice we may glorify God. What kind of harmony does God grant us? It is a genuine harmony, both inwardly and outwardly with one another. Friends, it's the real thing. God's harmony, what the church needs today. Those kids on a hill in Italy were saying, that Coke is the real thing, what the world needs today. But oh, Paul stands on Calvary's hill and says that God's harmony that he grants us, that's the real thing. It's what the church needs today. It's what God grants today. It's what the world wants to see from us today. Listen, this harmony is something the world even longs for. Everybody loves the Olympics. Everybody loves it when the nations get together. But it's such a temporary thing, and that harmony is only possible. You only get a brief glimpse of it because of the harmony that Christ gives us with Christ, with God, peace with God. Then we can have peace with one another, and that harmony is lived out in the church. 
It's a harmony born of God. It's based on our devotion to Christ and not on our devotion or 100% agreement about disputable matters. See, God's purpose for granting us this harmony is that we would together with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reason human beings were created. It is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And this is Paul's prayer, that we would as the church in harmony fulfill our mission of glorifying God, of making disciples with the gospel. Christ is the focus of this harmony. He's the cause of it. He's the focus of it. Through him, we glorify God. Through him, we fulfill our mission as we learn to live in harmony, the harmony that God provides. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on the book of Romans, says the following, Only when the church, when the Roman community is united, only when the Christians in Rome can speak with one voice, will they be able to glorify God in the way that he deserves to be glorified. Divisions in the church over non-essentials diverts precious time and energy from its basic mission, the proclamation of the gospel, and the glorifying of God. Here's the appeal, church. May God teach us to sing this morning in perfect harmony as we learn to bear one another's failings, pleasing our neighbor, not just ourselves, for his good, to build him up in his most holy faith. And our, may our song be one that glorifies God. And we would teach, yes, the world to sing Christ's song. We would proclaim the gospel. We would glorify God together with one voice. Mm. Oh, church, let us stand and let us pray that God would grant us this blessing. Oh, Father, help us. Help us now together, Lord. Grant us this harmony, Lord, that we may with one voice glorify your name. Father, may we find this coin minted on Calvary's hill, an inexhaustible supply of it, where we say, Lord, teach me to put myself second. Lord, teach me what it means to put others in first place. Because Christ, you did that on the cross for me. You died for my sins. You bore my failings to give me ultimate good, to bear my sins, to give me life. That is my source of grace to bear others' failings. This is where the harmony is born, that we can sing together and glorify you with one voice. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.